What a joy and delight it is to be here with you this morning at Village. I am happy to be here with you. Uh, I've looked forward to this for quite some time, and uh, Dr. Robinson and all of you who are here today, it's just good to see you on this beautiful, beautiful Mother's Day. When we were exchanging and passing the peace, I, I ran into Chuck Dollahide, and he said, you know, your time went by so fast here, let's do a do-over, you know? Well, I think you have to pass that by my wife before we do that, because <laughs> I know that uh, the 12 years I spent here, they were just delightful years, and I'm just delighted to be still engaged and involved in Oklahoma uh, through St. Paul's School of Theology and other places, and so it's good to see you. Let me share with you the scripture reading for the morning taken from the book of Acts, the first chapter, verses 3 through 9. This is what you will find there. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them 40, during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. There is no shadow or turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All we have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. Amen. As your bulletin indicates this morning, we're talking about promises. God's promises and how God Promises are always kept. We know something about promises because everyone in here knows uh, because we are accustomed to promises being made and promises being broken. You may not believe this, but my children are now 44, 42, and 36 years old, and they still remember promises I made to them when they were 10 and 8 and five, yes, children, we're going to go to Disney World very soon. 
And guess what? We never made it to Disney World. And, and, and you know what? They have never let me forget it. As a matter of fact, I think I'm being punished now because they already have in the works Disney World for my two grandchildren. Can you imagine? So anyway, they, they have conspired to pay me back for the promises that I didn't keep. And, and to make matters worse, you know, if that's not enough, my wife, my wife somehow remembers every promise that I've made and broken since we've been married. How, how does she do that? Do, do spouses jot down or tape record every time a, a husband makes a promise and fails to keep it? I know something is wrong, Bride, when you get the silent treatment, you know? When you, 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 you all know what I'm talking about. When, when a promise is broken, you get that silent treatment. And after asking over and over, what's, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? And getting no response, it hits you in the middle of the night that you didn't take her to that movie you promised or, or that anniversary dinner or you forgot summer. That promises are made and promises are broken. And all I can say about promises to you is if you break it, it will come back to haunt you. Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, uh, wrote this, for every promise, there is a price to pay. And I found that out. Well, somehow I got into this thing of promises this past week or so when I looked at the calendar and discovered that this particular Sunday in the Protestant tradition is often referred to as Ascension Sunday. Ascension Sunday. Look at your Christian calendar because it marks the time that Jesus literally ascended into heaven after 40 days or so of being with his disciples after the resurrection. Acts 1 sets the scene for us. It's the last time that the disciples saw Jesus. It was the last time that they heard his voice. And the scripture is very clear that as they were watching, Jesus was lifted up in a cloud and out of their sight. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, that had to be a special moment to see Jesus leaving, departing. But if you go back and read carefully that passage that I shared with you, you'll discover that he reminded them of a promise, a promise which had not yet been fulfilled. The scripture records this exchange, and while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. Let, let me just kind of break that down quickly because first of all, Jesus knew that all roads leading into God's salvation would be to or from Jerusalem. It was a city built with the bricks of prophecy and the fate of all creation depended on what happened in Jerusalem. This had already been proven because it was in Jerusalem where Jesus met his destiny and it was the site 
of his imminent departure. And so Jerusalem would be the point where the disciples would go out into the world carrying the message of our Lord to the ends of the earth. So he said, do not leave Jerusalem. And then he said this, the promise, wait for the promise. What is the promise that he's talking about? Well, in order to understand it, you have to kind of go back a little bit to Luke, the 24th chapter and the 44th verse. It's the first time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his crucifixion. And this is what he said in Luke 24, 44. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to the scriptures, to understand the scriptures. And this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then it ends by saying, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The promise was simply the Holy Spirit. It was God's Spirit sent down to earth to continue to, to mediate God's word after Jesus' departure. And as Paul Harvey would say, a, a great Oklahoman, by the way, you know the rest of the story because Pentecost came shortly thereafter, and there was the beginning of the church. Wait for the promise. You know, I've discovered in the course of my life and in my ministry that, that God's promises are always kept. As the beautiful hymn that I started out with, Great is Thy Faithfulness, says, there is no shadow or turning from God. He changes not his compassions, they fail not. As God has been, God will forever will be. His promises are always kept. And the reason this is so important to us on this Ascension Sunday is because there are promises at work even now in your life that God has made that you might not even be aware of that God is keeping daily. And if I could just get you to thinking about some of the promises that God has made and is keeping, then I feel like my message might be heard. Let me, let me just share with you quickly a few of the promises that God has, has made and God keeps for us. One comes to mind is that God has promised that all things work together for good for those who love and serve him Faithfully, God has promised. Now, when you read Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Paul didn't say, we believe. Paul didn't say, we assume that all things work together, or we have some idea that all things work together for the good. No, Paul said, we know that all things work together for the good 
for those who love and who faithfully serve him. And the reason that promise is so important to us is because ask yourselves, how many times have, have you run up against the brick wall of life? How many times have you been almost defeated and out of that defeat, victory was pulled? How many times in your lives have you given up hope, thrown in the towel of despair, and somehow, God brought good out of it. Now, that's not to say that bad things don't happen to good people, because they do. But we serve a God who has promised us that even when bad happens, God has the capacity, God has the ability to bring good out of every situation. That's the, that's, that's the promise that God has made that all things work together for good. Another thing that God has promised us is that his grace is sufficient for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, you, you're familiar with the story of Paul, the apostle Paul, how he was afflicted with this malady. We, we don't really know what it was. It could have been epilepsy. It could have been some other problem that he had, but it was acute. It was troubling. And he writes in 2 Corinthians 12 that he, he asked God three times to remove this from me, only to hear that his grace is sufficient for us, that God's powers are made perfect in our weakness. You know, I've been in ministry for now 48 years, and it took me a long time to understand that particular verse when Paul says, for when I'm weak, I am strong. You see, it's when we understand and rely upon the promises that God's grace is sufficient for us. When we reach that weakest moment in our lives and turn to God, we discover a grace that covers our weaknesses. Let me, let me put it this way. One day, a, a woman went to a little creek near her home with her son. He wanted to go swimming. And she took him out there, and, and the only other person out there was a fisherman down the way, just fishing. And, and so the young boy, who was a great swimmer, took off his shoes, and, and he dove into the water, and he swam out. Just, just excellent swimmer. But he went too far. And on the way back, he got tired, and he started sinking, and he started hollering for help. And the mother saw this, and she said, Please help us, help us. And, she, and the fisherman dropped his rod and reel and he ran down to her and he stood beside her. She said, go and, and, and get him, get him, he's drowning. And the fisherman stood there, just stood there. And she was hysterical, go and get him. And finally, after what seemed like an eternity, he took off his shoes and dove into the water got the boy and brought him back and resuscitated him. And then the mother said, why didn't you go in and get him when I asked you? And the fisherman said, I had to wait until he got to his weakest point because if I had gone in any earlier, he would have drowned both of us fighting. 
You see, sometimes life is like that. We, we're so strung out here, so strong in our own egos that we think we can do life alone by ourselves. We think that we are self-made people, but, but we're not. And sometimes we need the grace of God. Sometimes we need that promise to be fulfilled that God's grace is sufficient for us to meet our every need. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And that's when I have come to understand at my weakest moment, Bob Hayes, that's when you're strongest because that's when you go to God to call upon the sufficient grace that only God can give. That's, that's another promise that he has given. Oh, I could go on and on. God has promised to supply every need we have. In Philippians 4, 19, it says God uh, has obligated himself to not only uh, supplying our every need, food and clothing and shelter and all those things, but God has given us all things that we need. Uh, God has promised us once again that those who believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins will be saved. These are all promises, but I've saved the best for last because God has promised us victory over death and eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's promised us victory over death and eternal life. The greatest verse in the Bible, some scholars say, is John 3, 16. When it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, that whosoever believes, didn't say what, who, it said whosoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, I do a lot of traveling, and a lot of times I go in these hotel rooms and First thing I'd try to do is to open up the, 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 the drawer there to see if the Gideons are still on the job. You know, there's a Gideon Bible in all these hotels. And, and, and next time you find yourself on the road or in a hotel, pull, pull, see if the Gideons are still on the job. But pull that Bible out and open it up. And when you get to page 7, there is this verse, God so loved the world. It is translated into the greatest languages of the world, some 25 or 30 languages that, that speak to over 5 billion people because this is the verse that people need to hear, is that God promises us victory over death. That, that's what Easter is all about, an eternal life. That's what this Holy Spirit thing is all about. And... There is a place for us beyond this life. What, what promise could be greater than that? Let me end with this story. I like it. It's about a Dr. Riley. This was back in the 1800s, late 1800s. Dr. Riley finished a prestigious medical school in the East. And instead of going like many of his classmates did to Chicago or New York or Philadelphia to set up practice, Dr. Riley said, I'm going to go out west 
where they don't even have a doctor. I'm going to go out far enough where people really need a doctor. So he packed up all of his instruments and he caught a, a train as far as it would go and then he got stagecoach and Dr. Riley wound up in a tiny community somewhere around New Mexico, Arizona. And he set up practice in this faraway place, this little town. He found a, a, a shop, a, a vacant place right above the general store where he opened his office. And, and with, a, with his own hands, he made a sign that said to let people know Dr. Riley is upstairs. And he put that sign at the base of the stairs to let them know that there was a doctor in town. And people came from miles around to see Dr. Riley. Year after year, people came. And Dr. Riley birthed their babies, cured them of their diseases, held their hands when someone died. Dr. Riley served that community faithfully for many, many, many years. And what's so ironic about it is they had nothing to pay him. They, they were poor. They couldn't pay him anything. But Dr. Riley served faithfully. And then one day, Dr. Riley knew that his time on earth was limited. And so he went upstairs one night and he pulled out all of his patients' charts. And on every chart, he wrote paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. And the next morning, they found his body slumped over the last chart where he had written paid in full. Dr. Riley had died. They didn't have enough money to even buy a casket. So they took his body to the edge of town, to the cemetery, and into the common earth they put his body and covered it with rocks. And people came from miles around to pay tribute to Dr. Riley. And as they surrounded the grave mourning their loss, someone said, we don't even have a tombstone, a marker for his grave. And one little girl said, I'll go to town. I'll, I'll find something to mark his grave. And a little while she came back and she had a sign to mark his grave. And on the sign it said, Dr. Riley is upstairs. Eternal life. That's what you've been promised. A home, a place to go. And God has kept his promises. But as I, I prepare to go to my seat, if you think that this sermon is about God's promises and how they are always kept, you might be a little bit off because it's not just about how God's promises are kept. It's about you and it's about me. Because when we walked down the aisle and gave our life to Christ, whether it was last week or 30 or 40 years ago, when we gave our lives to Christ, we made some promises. We took some vows, and we said we would serve faithfully all our lives. But it grieves me to think that as faithful as God's promises are kept, 
how God feels when we break our promises. So in a big way, this is about how God's promises are kept, but it's, it's a way to remind you that all of us have made our own promises. And I believe that God expects us to keep our promises just as he has kept his. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, thank you for the great promises of life that you have made and you make each and every day. We know that we have strayed away and broken our promises so many, many times. We are the prodigal sons and daughters, Lord, who have gone and wasted our lives in riotous living. But you are the same faithful God who, who leaves the porch light on, who stands at the door and waits for us to come back, who welcomes us and throws your loving arms around us and you receive us once again into your fold no matter how far we stray or how long we go. Forgive us. Renew us and help us to keep the promises that we have made just as you have kept yours for thousands of years. It's in your holy name and in the name of your Son and our Savior we pray and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.